Let's get right into this tonight. It's ringing a little bit up here, but it's called The Death Blow Part 2. Death Blow to Me First Part 2. You know, obviously it's a very serious moment of all that's gone on in the world. We live in a very dark world. If there's ever a time a church needed to be a church, it's today. Um, the tragedies that have happened recently, and they keep happening, I think, uh, I don't know for sure, something like 33 mass shootings so far to date this year. But the young man that, who committed the crimes, murdering the children, or you can go back to the first one, the Buffalo shootings, I'll cover about that in the, at the end, but no, you have no words for it. We're, we're lost for words. We can't even imagine the horror of it as a parent. You can't even imagine it. So I, I'm not going to talk about that tonight other than just remember every single day, if you can, to pray for those families for comfort. Just pray for them for God's comfort. And somehow uh, that through it all, the grace of God, God, the word, hope would come to their lives. Jesus would present it to these people somehow, some form, some fashion. And that God can use something the devil meant for evil, for good, somehow. But the young man that committed the crimes, Ramos, you know, he had a speech impediment. He was bullied most of his life. Grew up in a family of drugs. Made, people made fun of him because he stuttered, he had a lisp when he spoke. And because of that, as he grew up, he withdrew from people. And as time went on... <clears throat> You know, he became a loner. He wasn't always a loner all the time. He became a loner more and more and more as time went on. It's proven that loners, we don't do good alone. And I, help, I can't help but think, and tonight I'll talk about it with Yvonne, do a little clip, but I can't help but think, what would, if this, would this young man, we don't know, I know that, would this young man do what he did had he been loved dearly? Had he been loved dearly, would he have done what he'd done? I, I have to say, I don't, I don't think so. Had he been in a family, a, a setting, a place where, where he's, uh, I'm, not, I'm sure he's loved to some degree, but, but where his parents were there, parents were there, where it wasn't drugs around, where he had a family setting where he was loved and he was nurtured, and, and when no one liked him in the world, his family loved him. He didn't have that, it seemed like, at all. And so this is what happens. Not saying it's, it's, it's the reason why. We, people say, why, why? I tell you, it's one reason why. It's because of sin. Sin destroys people's lives. No rhyme or reason for sin. But you think about influence. I read this article about influence. And I open up with it. I'm not sure how far I'll get tonight in what I'm going to say. But listen to this. It was out of a book. I forget which book it was. I, I think it was called The Power of Influence. But... And it talks about how others greatly influence our choices. And he talks about this. <clears throat> he said, <clears throat> there's an effect. We see how susceptible teenagers are, especially teenagers, to the opinions and choices of their peers. He said, this tendency for all of us is we have people that are like us. We have a tendency in this book, it says, to Act like the people around us, the people that are what we would call our peers. Our tendency is to emulate those around us that are like us. As an example, when a suicide is highly publicized in media, which I don't think they should highly publicize. 
When a suicide is highly publicized in media, the number of people who died in airplane or car crashes increases dramatically the following week. And at first glance, this baffling phenomenon, you wonder, what does it have to do with people committing suicide, these accidents? Well, it says it, it says <clears throat> that there's, see, here's, there, here's the answer, that after reading about a suicide in the paper, some people resolved to take their own lives to emulate the person that just died. For several reasons, some people decide to make the death seem like an accident. That's why it seemed like they got an accident in a car. I think Jacob spoke about being at desperate end, thinking about just going into the oncoming traffic. It would look like an accident. They would accidentally wreck. They would accidentally do things, hence the unexplained, what we, they would call crashes that occur. But listen to this. Sadly, these are not people that would have committed suicide anyway. Research has shown that, for, that on every front page suicide story effectively results in the deaths of 58 people that otherwise would have gone on living. They would have just kept living had not someone else taken their life. They're simply following, he says, on the average. This effect seems to be the strongest for people similar to the person whose suicide was publicized. When a young person reads that a young person took, take, had, taken, had committed suicide, they're more likely to take their own lives. When older people read about someone taking suicide, they're old, they decide to take their lives. We follow others. We are linked to others more closely than all of us even realize. We are social beings. We do not do well alone. We influence each other a lot more. We, we have no idea how much, but we do. So when they publicized a suicide, I thought the first thing when they publicized this shooting, just the last shooting of this white racist who shot the 10 black uh, people, a lot of the, I don't think a lot of these things should be advertised. If there's a suicide that happens, I don't think it should make front page. It's proven when it does that, it triggers a lot. There's young people that will listen to that and will go commit suicide. We'll be dead by the end of the week because of that. That was the trigger. I wish it wasn't so. I wish you wouldn't receive that. and It pushed us to do something we normally wouldn't do. But you and I, are we are social people. God made us to be social beings. We affect each other. So let's read our text tonight quickly. Matthew chapter 5, again, it says, you are the light of the world. If there's ever a time the church needs to be the light of the world, it's today. It's a dark world. You are the light of the world. A city built on the top of a hill cannot be hidden, and no one lights lamps and put it under a clay pot. Instead, it's placed on the lampstand where you can give light to everyone in the house. Make your light shine so others will see the good that you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. In Romans 12, 9, it says, to be a main verse we will look at, in light of community, love is to be sincere and active, the real thing without guile or hypocrisy. Hate what is evil, detest all ungodliness, do not tolerate wickedness, hold tightly to what is good. And so what I've been saying, and just reiterate it quickly, is what I've been saying is once we get saved, generally we, we find a church, we go to it, usually someone who witnessed to us comes from a church, they witness to us. We come to a church, we start coming to church. The gospel, I said, creates communities. And we come to church, it's just a natural flow. We end up coming into assembly, we come into a church gathering, we become a part of a church. 
and we begin to affect each other, begin to have, to have relationships, and hopefully those relationships keep us going on the right path. Can we say amen? But having said that, there's a big difference between going to church and belonging to church. The, the two are not the same thing. Going to church is not a biblical idea in itself. Some of you say, oh, wait, wait, what did the pastor just say? Going to church is not a biblical idea in itself. Belonging to a covenant community is, and there is a big difference. Belonging to a covenant community is, is big difference than just showing up and knowing, knowing you. Follow me carefully. Discipleship is impossible where you are not known. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ if you are unknown. We must, as a church, we, and stay with me through this, we must contend for an atmosphere of redemption. Of redemption. Let me explain. Romans 12, 9, it says, love is to be sincere. Now, the version says, love is to be unhypocritical. Un says love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Hold on to what is good. And there's really two ways to look at this verse. Where it says love must be sincere, it's talking about our love for others, and it's also talking about our love towards God. Let love be genuine, one version says. Hate evil, cling to what is good. New Living says don't pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Let love be without hypocrisy. And the word there can be basically, to make it really simply understood, is not to be phony, but to be sincere in our behavior. Listen to this. In our behavior, free from hidden agendas or motives. Now, this is key to everything I'm about to say. Hypocrisy is pretending or pretending to look a certain way or act a certain way, but it's not really who you are at the core of your being. The dictionary says it like this, a pretense of having a virtuous character, moral or religious beliefs or principles, but you really don't possess those. A pretense of having some desirable or publicly approved attitude. Now, with God, here's how it falls in. With God, hypocrisy would be we, we pretend we're walking with Christ really closely. We pretend we know him well. We, we pretend, we let others believe, we lead others to believe that we're really close to Jesus Christ. We pretend our life is walking and we're doing good. We're outside of these doors. We're, we're the real deal. We're pretending that we love in Jesus Christ. We pretend that we love him and we're close to him. But at the core of us, that's not so. We're pretending. Now about ourselves and the church, we pretend our life is okay. We pretend everything in our life is fine. And this is gonna have to, you're going to have to really stay with me to really get what I say. You get this wrong, it's going to hurt the church. You get this right, it's going to make the church better. So make, I hope you get this right. If you get it wrong, listen to the tape again. <laughs> because we can pretend like we're not struggling. We can pretend that we don't have a problem with sin. We can begin to pretend all these things aren't so and it's seen, as time goes on, you can see it in some people. Some people will, as time goes on, their pretending catches up to them because they never will answer an altar call. 
It's very rare they want to answer an altar call. Why? Because they have begun to live a life of pretending everything is okay. They live this life pretending. And once you make an image, guess what? You've got to keep the image. Now, what I'm saying is, doesn't mean you have to be this way. We're saying this how not to be. But hear me, hear me out here. Because at the end of this, as I go through this, you understand completely what I'm saying. We have to be careful because... <clears throat> You and I, as time goes on, we can know what we're supposed to do, and we can major on the externals. We can major on looking good, being nice, being kind, all that's fine. But the people who know us the most, the best, the closest, know, and here's the danger, is if we continue to live this pretending life, like all is well when not all is well with God or even with other people, the dangers of it is we will never change. We, will, we get locked into that place. But someone who knows this really well will, will say, you know what? At this person's core being, they're not doing so well. I know them. I live with them. They're not doing as they appear, Pastor. Here's the danger. Our image and how others perceive us. If we have an image that we pre present to people, and again, it's, there's no other way to say this. You have this image that you present as time goes on, that you're close to God, you love God, you're, you're all of that, and you're not that. So when you interrelate with people, people relate to you based on what? The image that you've given them. Do you understand what I'm saying? I know Jordan Peterson could do better than this than I am. What I'm trying to say, he could explain this a lot better. But sorry, you get Kerry here tonight, not Jordan. And I don't think you want to pay him $100,000 to show up here for five minutes anyway, or $200,000. And so my love I get from you is based on an image I've given you. We're not stupid people. So we say this. I'm getting this love based on a false image. If I want to keep getting this love, I better keep that image up. And that becomes so deadly. So the, the guy, a guy can walk in, can be completely lost, but he put up the image. How do you know? Praise God, man. Praise Jesus. You haven't talked to Jesus in a week, but you know, praise Jesus. <laughs> praise God. And just glory to God. And you're nice to them. They're nice to you. And you receive this love and you, you give the love, but it's based on... And insincerity, it's not sincere. The image I'm presenting is not sincere, and the love I'm giving is not sincere. It's both to God and with others. Now, there's no way I'm going to ask for hands. How many people have come in at times and just kind of had to put on an image? There's nothing wrong with that. You're just trying to maintain and I'll get to that in a minute, but here's the important point of what I'm trying to say is this. In order to feel a part, you got to, if you, if you really want to feel a part and you really want to grow and you really want to change and you really want to mature, you can't pretend. You, you can't pretend. Something ha has to take place because... Pretending is very, very damaging. 
Hollywood, I've said this to other people, Hollywood don't have all the great actors. The church does. The best actors in the world are in church. Judas. He's the first Academy Award. He, he sold Jesus out with 30 pieces of silver, and no one really knew it. He never indicated, even though the disciples thought, maybe it was me, maybe it was me. No one, there was no indication openly that it was, everyone knew Judas. Man, Judas, you've been pretending all along. You a fake, boy. You wrong. Calling you out. No, Judas had them all fooled. Didn't have Jesus fooled, though. And Jesus could have said, and the winner of the Actor Academy Award goes to Brother Judas. <laughs> but he didn't do that, and he could have. So sometimes, not always, but sometimes what happens, we get caught in this little thing. And when we're not taking time, and I know this is hard, it's hard to face ourselves. Especially when you've built an image, you're supposed to keep up. It's hard to say to someone who thinks you're the greatest thing in the world, you go, how you doing? You say, well, actually, I'm doing terrible. But in a good way, you know, I'm doing terrible. I need help, man. That's not easy to say. Someone say, oh, you're just kidding. Oh, no, I'm not kidding. <laughs> Come on, stop it. Because we all want the world to be perfect. But it's an unreal world. So what happens, and I'll get through this real quick because I don't think it's always the case, but sometimes people, instead of dealing with their own heart, as time goes on living life, there are sometimes, there are people, sometimes you get around and they're always pointing out the sins of other people. And they elevate the sins of other people because they don't want to take time to look at the sins in their own life. And they elevate someone else's sin. Oh, bad, this, this person matters. Now they're turning this. And really, a lot of times, just, we say, beware of someone who, has a, who always has an enemy. Beware of a Christian who always has an enemy. Always has an enemy. And they're always, there's all, everyone, out, everyone around there, there's something bad, and they're always pointing out things. And a lot of times people that are like always pointing out the worst in other people, all the, the worst in other people. And so, okay, I, I get it, okay, you just, wow, yeah, you know, that poor person needs help, you just can't help them. But it's like they're always pointing that out. You wonder, why are they like this? Because they don't want to deal with themselves. And it's a lot easier to point like this than it is to say, look at me and face yourself. It's hard to face yourself. Sometimes, right? Some of you, some of you say, oh, I can face myself. You know, come on. <laughs> the issue is the heart. You remember, and I won't get into it. Remember the Pharisees did a great job on the externals? They had it down. They had it. They paid. They, they, they prayed perfectly. They looked perfect. They had it down out here. And Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you're lost. What he was saying is, your righteousness got to go way beyond the externals. It's a heart issue. It's not just, the Bible, the law says don't commit adultery. It's not about committing adultery. It's about having lust in your heart. It's a heart issue. Don't murder. It's not about murdering someone. It's about hate in your heart. Jesus brought us to, not to look on the outside. Just the way, I go a lot deeper than the outside. And because people can play the game of looking really, really good and be totally lost, but they look so fine. Jesus said, don't do what they do. They're hard. No, your, your righteousness has got to be a lot deeper than that. What are you talking about? It can't just be the outside. It has to be on the inside, too. It's a heart thing. 
The Bible says out of the heart comes what? All that is all the sinful things. I'll just read it to you. The Bible says from your heart comes all the evil ideas which lead you to kill, to commit adultery, to do the immoral thing, to rob, to lie, to slander others. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord his God. And he will have mercy upon him. To our God, he will abundantly pardon. We've got to be honest about who you are, and you've got to be honest about your struggle. But here's an important point, and it's going to be up there. The church has to be a place where it's okay not to be okay. The church has to be a place where it's okay not to be okay, and it has to be a place where it's safe, where someone can be that. I'll give you an example, a sermon I preached recently. Here I get going again. Without caffeine, that's pretty good, huh? (laughs) Uncaffeinated pastor. But here's a sermon I, I preached about, I talked about, I forgot the title. I preached the sermon, I forget the titles. I forget what's even in them a day later. But anyway, John the Baptist, remember John the Baptist? I talked about him. He was doubting and had a moment of doubt. He's in prison. And he tells his two disciples, look it, go find out if this is really the Christ or we look for someone else. He is in a moment of doubt. He's struggling with his faith. And I said this in the sermon. He doesn't tell the world because, listen, Not everyone can handle your struggle. And truthfully, not everyone needs to handle your struggle. And not everyone has a right to even know about your struggle. Because you can hear this sermon the wrong way and you think, oh, so you're the church police. No, hear me. No, you don't shout other people's sins. You just guess in game. It's, It's all relationships. So when John the Baptist said it, he didn't say it to the world. Yes, it's recorded to the world. We know it. But he said it to two disciples that he could trust with his doubts. See, not everyone, not everyone you have in your life, there are some people you should have in your life. That's the point of the sermon. You should have some people in your life where it's okay to be not okay. Let's have some people in your life where you can be like John the Baptist and struggle with your doubts about God. You know what? I, I don't know if this really is God. I, I'm struggling right now. And you have someone you can talk to, but there are other people that you cannot share your struggle with because, you know what? hate to tell you the truth. They, they, they talk about you. Now you're getting real, Pastor. Oh, yeah. That, you, there's some people, they can't handle your struggle if you say to them, uh, you, whatever it is, you know, I'm struggling. I don't know if God's real. What? What did he say? What did the pastor say? He, he, he wondered if God was real. I heard him say it. <laughs> Jesus is in the garden. What does he do? He goes out and he says, Father, let this cup pass if it's your will. He said, I don't want to do this. If it's your will, I, I, I take this cup from me. What he's saying, I really don't want to do this, but if I have to, I will. Right? That was Jesus. He took disciples. He had someone he could talk to, but that's what he said. No one took that and said, I heard Jesus say, Jesus, I heard Jesus say, he don't want to do the will of God. <laughs> I heard him say it myself, take it away from me. He didn't even want to do it himself. Listen, not everyone can handle your struggle. There's some people you, you, say, you say something to, I hate to tell you, they, they're going to betray you. And that's what happens in a church. That's why people leave a church. People confide in a struggle and say, how you doing, brother? I say, well, you know, I'm really struggling, man. I, I just, uh, just shot my dog. No, just kidding. Uh, <clears throat> I just, uh, just having a hard time, man. Having a hard time. And you pour your heart out to them. I hate to tell you this, 
But your life in the church, you'll probably be betrayed more than once. You pour your heart out, your most intimate thing. You see, I'm struggling with this, this. And they'll go tell somebody. It's called gossip. Oh, they won't say it like that. They'll say it in a prayer meeting. Uh, they'll go to Snell's Bible study. Pastor Snell, can we pray for so-and-so? Yeah, you know what they're doing? Bless their heart. We need to pray for them. We're doing this, this, this with so-and-so. I saw them. I heard all about it. And we need to pray for them. They're all wicked. They're so wicked. They're so wicked. Let's pray for them. It's called gossip. You poured your heart out in confidence. They didn't know it was going to be evening news. You be careful who you share your doubts with. And so when you get betrayed, what happens to people in the church? People get hurt, and they, what do they do? They leave the church. People in the church or out of the church are all people. But you say, well, I didn't know. I just told you. So you, know, you can't play, you can't play, you can't claim innocence. Just be careful with your doubts. But you have to have someone in your life or people in your life that you can talk to, that you can share with, you can pour your heart out to. That's important because that's in our story. Uh, listen, in our story about Romans 12, it lays some guidelines about relationships. That's very important. It talks about having the right kind of affection. It says that you and I ought to be love one another warmly as Christians, be eager to show respect for one another, brotherly love, be affectionate one to another in matters of worldly honor, yield to one another. Another version says take delight in each other. This only happens. It has to be this atmosphere well, that can take place, but it has to be an atmosphere where, you know what, I'm not pretending. There's people in my life, in the church, in the community, that as I struggle, I have people close to me that I can talk to about these things. Now, why is this important? Because you can't pretend forever. Sincere love is sincere. It's, you know what, you know what, if they're going to love me, they're going to love me how I am. This is, I'm struggling, but you have some people in your life that you can talk to. You can talk about your life, your struggle. It's okay to not be okay at times, but you have that, and you have that support. That's what every one of us need. But in that relationship, what naturally happens is affection. It says, let there be brotherly affection. The, word, the idea of the word that it's used, it means to have good feelings towards. You know, when you're close-knit together, Having good feelings towards someone almost comes natural. But one thing about good feelings, yes, you can act like you have the feelings, but this is not acting. This is something from the heart. It's like when you see it, the, the word picture is painted in some of the commentators. It's like when you see a loved one walk in, you kind of rejoice. Well, should. <laughs> oh, no, he's home. <laughs> uh, where are you at, honey? Well, I'm leaving now, honey. <laughs> Blaze the Lord. <laughs> I'll be back in about five hours. I come home and say, Carmen, I'm home. Say, and? <laughs> That's after you've been married 40 years. That's what the wife says. <laughs> Carmen, I'm home. She says, so what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> you, want, you want an award or what do you want, Carrie? And? Hello, do the dishes. Do something with yourself. Don't just sit there and look at me. <laughs> uh, you guys got me off track anyway. 
But that's what the word means, this brotherly affection. But it doesn't just say that. It says, love one another warmly, be eager. It goes on and says this quickly. A couple more minutes here. It says, hate what is evil. And this is so important because if we have an atmosphere where what I'm talking about becomes, it's real. This is hard. This is, this is the challenge of any biblical relationship. It says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Stand against what is evil, hold on to what is good. In a good biblical relationship, there are already times that you in your relationship, your friend that you're close to, you're going to have to confront them about their sin. Now it's going to get really quiet. Some of you say, can we end it here? No. Mm-mm. But if, you, if, you, you're, if you're in a close relationship, to me, it is cowardly, it is weakly, and it's shallow. It's not love at all to, to know someone you're with. You are with someone, you're around someone, they're struggling with sin, they're walking in sin, they're practicing sin, and you say one word to them about their sin. Now, I'm not saying to the world, I'm talking about the Christian who claims to be a Christian that you're close to. There are many verses in the Bible that talk about you and I warning. Now, a lot of the warning people get in church is through the preaching. But a lot of us, the preaching could be preaching, the preacher could preach a sermon, have your name written right on it, and you could say, I'm glad they're here to hear that. I'm glad she's here. That is right for her. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Get the tape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we can avoid the conviction ourselves, and the, and the sermon can have our name on it, but yet it's about us and our sin. And sometimes you have someone in your life, and we think it's lovingly, oh, just let it work it out. Sin never just works itself out. It's, it's right there. It's right in front of your face. And you have a chance to warn them. Say, hey, you know, brother, I'm concerned about you, man. What you're doing is going to, you know, it's not going to end well. You say, well, I told you this can be difficult. Some of you aren't even breathing. Go ahead and breathe. <laughs> breathe. Some of you quit breathing. <laughs> Who's going to call me out? No one's going to call you out. <clears throat> but you got people that love you around you. They're going to help you. Now, having said that, that doesn't make you the Holy Spirit. You're not the police. That doesn't mean you look at your sister and oh, hey, 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 pastor said to point some stuff out. <laughs> While he was preaching, I wrote a list. <laughs> can we talk, sister? Let's go out for coffee and have tea and where I can tell you about all your sins. <laughs> no, but there's nothing really funny about it. It says hate. One version says have the horror. Sin ought to, it, 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 the idea there is that make you just like, <gasps> that's how we should feel about sin. That, see, brother, listen, man, this is going to kill you. It's going to ruin your family. You, you're you're going to end up in hell. You keep doing that. You're gonna, who knows? Life could end for you to, right now. This is warn that person. If it's, if it's a community where you can do that, the people can change, right? They can repent and get right. And they get right, and they're going to make heaven their home. That's what we want, right? Isn't we, are we after? We're not after playing church. We're after being... Real Christians try to make heaven our home. Can we agree on that? Amen. No, hey, young girl, I don't want you going. You, know, you may not listen to me. I know you think you know everything. You're 15. I know. I know. 
Everyone's dumb but you. I know, I know, I know, okay? You're so smart, I know. But you're only 15. You haven't lived that long, trust me. But some of the things you're doing is not good. Listen to Don, don't, don't do that. This isn't going to end, babe. This isn't good. You're not doing. Love does that. Love warns. To just stay silent and say absolutely nothing. I feel for that person. Because if it goes unchecked by the people that are closest to you, then really on one hand, unless God gets a hold of that person, God really somehow just breaks that person's heart, that person's going to continue down that path. Trust me. And not just, not just now for a few days. I'm talking weeks, months, and years. Time going before, it would be a bondage in that person's life. And something could have happened five years ago had someone spoken to him. I'm going to share one story with you. I'm going to end here because you guys are like quiet. <laughs> I'll share two. I'll share one. I'll share whatever I want. I remember one time I went to church. I was probably 20 years old. I'm a pastor. thought I was doing okay. A disciple in the church. I didn't even know what that meant. But I was coming to church regularly. My wife would come early. I would sit in the front always. I got there way before everyone got there. That's just how I am. I'm, I'm wired like that. My son Nate said to me, Dad, when you were healthy, you are like over the top though, Dad. You are like way over the top. We thought we have energy. You are like, woo. He said, even you're sick and you're still kind of woo, woo. <laughs> you know, I said, well... But that's me. I just, that's how I was. That's, how, that's my DNA. That's just how God made me. And so I was always in church and doing everything and anything for everyone. Just, and I was trying to be, I was being sincere. I like, I like people. I tell my wife, I can live as long as I got people around. I love people. Uh, you know, I don't care. I, I like people. That's just a fact. And so over there in the church, I'm involved, helping any way I can. I was kind of an usher. I wasn't an official usher. I was the guy who helped. I was like one of the guys. You know what I mean? Like one of the real ushers. And the guys let me know, you're not an usher. Oh, oh, okay, I'm not an usher. You're the usher, right? Okay, yes, sir, yes, sir. Silly boys, silly boys. Anyway, so I'm there at the church, and like 20 years old, 23, had my kids, I don't know how many kids we had then, maybe one or two. I forgot. Yeah, that was my wife. But anyway, well, I remember coming to church, and my pastor said, I need to talk to you. In my world, I think I'm the best disciple, just doing good, just Johnny on the spot. Pastor just me down my office. He says, uh, and he talked to us. Yeah. He says, uh, your wife, Carmen's going to lose, lose her mind. I said, what do you mean, wife? What's wrong with her? Is she weak-minded or what? <laughs> What's wrong with her? He goes, it's you. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you don't help with the kids at all. You, your kids run around. Your kids are totally uncontrolled. They're not disciplined. They don't listen to you. I said, your wife's doing everything she possibly can. She, she's about ready. Carmen's about ready to have a nervous breakdown. And I'm ready to just tore me up. Because one thing about me, I mean, you get what you get, okay? And I, I did care about her. I loved her. I married her. Come on. But I said, I didn't know that. He goes, that's why we're having a meeting. <laughs> that's, that's a guy, right? Why are we having a meeting? <laughs> marriage. What, what marriage? You're only one of the two people in the room, buddy. You're marriage. <laughs> so I, <laughs> and he, said, he laid out some stuff, and he said, you need to do this, 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 this. And I felt so broken. I just, I mean, inside, I didn't want to show it there. I was too proud, 22 years old, you know. But uh, I said, 
gosh, I said, I'm sorry. I said, I, 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 I don't have no words to say. I had no excuse. I said, I'm sorry. I said, Carmen, I'm sorry. I said, Pastor, I, help me do a better job. I, 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 don't, know what to tell, I don't know what to do. I, I, all I can say is, I, when I grew up, I had no one showing us how to raise the kids. Right? I didn't know how to raise a kid. I never had a kid. Didn't know how to be married. I was never married before. But I remember after that, trying to work on my marriage and my family and my wife and my kids were everything. Trying to, okay, trying to, trying to do right. And years went on. And I thought to myself, I could have said that day, you know what you're talking about, old man. Stay out of my business. I could have told him, so you know what, you know what you're talking about. I'm doing, I'm doing a fine job. I'm doing an okay job. I know your business. I could have kept an attitude, and I wouldn't be here preaching today. There's things that let, just let them, let them go, let them run loose in your life. Down the road, they're going to destroy you. And I'm glad because as years went on, I'm talking years went on, we moved to Prescott, Arizona. Pastor Mitchell gave me a compliment and said, Carrie, I need to talk to you. Well, he said, Carrie, I need to talk to you. <laughs> I came up, yeah, he said, he said, your kids, he said, are outstanding kids, some of the best kids in the whole church. He said, your, your wife comes to church early when you're, I was evangelizing, I, was, I wasn't there, I was gone preaching. My wife comes to church, the sanctuary, she puts the kids down there, she says, stay there, I'm going to go downstairs and pray. And the kids will sit there, and they won't even move. I don't think they breathe. <laughs> Carmen would have her little stick, little 12-inch stick, she'd light those boys up when they needed it. They didn't always need it. All they need to see it. <laughs> Seeing is believing. <laughs> they see, aha, I love Jesus, love Jesus. Color, color, love Jesus, love Jesus. Stay right here, love Jesus so much. All three of them, they wouldn't move. Pastor Mitchell said, your kids are, because he told me, he saw, if your kids get out of line, I'm going to tell you, you need to get your kids, you need, to watch your own, you need to watch your kids. He said, your kids are unbelievably disciplined. I said, I wish most of the kids, I wish some other church kids, or most of the kids in church were like that. He said, I don't know what you did, but you got a great example. And I said, Pastor Mitchell, my pastor had to talk to me like 20 years ago. I was doing everything wrong. Won't you bow your heads? I want every head bowed or head closed, please. Just quickly, I know I went a couple minutes over, not much, but If you're going to grow, you're going to mature, you're going to change. Husband, wife, young person, you're going to have to have a friend in Christ who's strong. Or friends, other women, other men. That when you have your moments of struggle, when you have your moments of doubt, when you have your moments of struggling with sin, you can talk to someone. You can answer an altar call, whether it's through the preaching, through a friend warning you, whatever. But may God help us to be responsive to spirit, just to be responsive to God when God speaks to us. There's nothing funny about someone lost, living in disobedience. The Bible says, be in horror of sin. Clean to what is good. Don't ever look at it, no big deal. It is a huge deal. It put Jesus on the cross. And you're here tonight. See, first of all, you're a Christian, and God spoke to you about some things. Just raise your hand quickly. 
before I close the service. Yes, yes, I see all these hands. You're a Christian. Yes, 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 yes. Just lift it up, put it right back down. Yes, I see all these hands. Maybe you're here tonight. You're, maybe you're not right. Tonight. If, you, if tonight, God forbid, if something were to happen, you were to stop breathing right this moment. You say, I'm not right with God, Pastor. Well, what are you waiting for? And you're tonight, you say, I want to get right with God. I'm done. I'm done. Doing it my way, my plans. Here's my life to Jesus. Jesus, I need you to help me work this thing out. If you want to give your life to Christ, that's you. Raise your hand.